Hello and welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Dalitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy. And as always, I'm here with Richard Hill. Yes, I am here, Matt, and it's really fantastic here doing a, uh, another one of our fabulous podcasts. But we've had a very, very special opportunity uh, is that we are associating ourselves, associating and really being able to engage with the Holistic Recovery Summit. And we'll yep. have links and you can tell them a bit more about that in a sec, too. And we're able to talk to these speakers uh, directly and get an insight into what they're on about. And there's going to be a, a series of these. And who are we starting with? Okay, yeah. So today we're going to start with Liam Mahoney. Now, Richard, my my Irish is no good. T tell me Liam's I'm, real name. I know, because it's it's <laughs> O-M-O-N-E-Y. So okay. it's Mahoney, Mahoney, Mahoney. But the Irish just sort of flatten the O. So it's Omoni. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it's but it's a beautiful thing. But he uh, he talks and he's speaking uh, at the summit with Bonnie Badnock. We haven't got Bonnie yep. with us today, but talking about addictions and talking about developmental trauma mm -hmm. uh, and some really interesting stuff. But uh, uh, the Weekend University putting on this uh, holistic recovery summit, uh, perfectly fr absolutely free to attend the live the live sessions. Uh, so. Uh, uh, we're really pleased, and I'm really keen to find out what Liam's got to say. Fantastic. So before we jump in and have a talk to Liam, uh, here is a message from the Weekend University. If you're interested in deepening your understanding of addiction and how best to treat it, you might want to check out the Holistic Recovery Summit. This is a free online conference which brings together 35 world-leading clinical psychologists, researchers, and practitioners. We will share with you their best practices for mind, body, social, and spiritual approaches to addiction treatment, enabling you to be at the forefront of evidence-based care. With a lineup including Stephen Porges, Janina Fisher, Ian McGilchrist, Pat Ogden, Anna Lemke, Stephen Hayes, Richard Schwartz, and 28 others, this really is a once-in-a-lifetime learning opportunity. The best bit is it's 100% free to attend live, and you can do so from the comfort of home. You'll also be able to upgrade to your recordings and certification pass after registration, although this is entirely optional. For more information, please check out the sign-up link in the description. Liam, hi, and welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy. It's so great to meet you. Thanks, Matt, and thanks, Richard, and, and it, I'm really appreciative that you invited me. Oh, it, it's it's such a simple invitation to make. We were so excited when we looked at the material, because of course the 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 summit that's coming up is so important to everybody, and it's important to us. And we just wanted to catch up with you mm. uh, about what we're doing in the summit. But what caught our eye was, of course, when we're talking about addictions, when we're talking about traumas, uh, the being a, a serviceman is is an enormous part of that being uh, uh, and that is a part of your life do you mind sharing us uh with us a little bit about that history and what brought you to this uh understanding and this sort of treatment and this work that you now do sure richard sure um well as you know i'm from ireland um and i joined i joined the army quite young at 17 um and it wasn't that I had a great um, draw or a great intention of joining the army, but it was kind of simply that my father was in the army. He was in the army at that stage for, I would imagine, about 30 years. So he thought it was a real kind of um, 
good idea that I'd go into the army. Now, looking back, it probably, it was good and it wasn't so good um, because I, I was a kind of immature, um, probably vulnerable 17-year-old. Um, and the, the army was very good in a way that it was a great kind of career. And the Irish army was... Um, it was a kind of very kind of forgiving place because with I had a kind of fairly significant history of developmental trauma myself that that obviously was very I was very unaware of going into the army um, and I think that kind of made me vulnerable and it really made me kind of vulnerable to kind of have a, a dependency on alcohol so quickly in the you know very quickly in the army um the Irish Army, there was a huge kind of culture of drinking. So I love that um, because, with a, you know, one of the things that we talk about in in, in the, the webinar series that's coming up is that um, with developmental trauma and with addiction, there's, there's three capacities that don't get very developed. And one of the capacities is the capacity for relationship. The second capacity is the capacity for emotional and autonomic regulation. And the third capacity, the, the third, the third, it's not even so much a capacity, but usually people with addiction and developmental trauma, they have a very kind of negative self-image. So, so we can relate to ourselves in ways that are, you know, it's on a kind of a, a spectrum from critical to absolutely hatred. So when I went into the army, I didn't really have a capacity for relationship. So alcohol was very helpful for me to be able to mix with people, to kind of feel somewhere normal. Um, so I think the first 10 years of my, was it 10? Yeah, I went into the army when I was 17 and the stop drinker when I was 29. So the first 12 years are kind of a, a blackout, a lot of them. Um, I would have gone overseas with the army to the Lebanon. Um, and so when I, when I came out of that kind of fog, the next, I suppose I stayed another probably 10 years in the army. Um, but it was really good because even though I had got into a lot of trouble in the army for 12 years, going missing, going apps, AWOL, but they were they were a very forgiving organization. And one of the one of the things in the Irish Army is that once I kind of got my act together, when I got kind of treated, uh, I kind of went up the ranks very quickly. I got into very interesting areas like bomb disposal, spent a few years in bomb disposal. And for the last few years, the the army enabled me to kind of start orientating towards a different career. And of course, I was very interested at, at that stage then. Because um, when I stopped drinking, um, I was married at the time. And like a lot of people that stop drinking, you think that you're going to ride off into the sunset and life is going to be wonderful. But actually, I was a lot worse in ways in that I was a lot more depressed, was a lot more anxious, uh, still didn't have a capacity for you know, to be able to mix with people, still didn't have a kind of capacity for self-regulation, you know, kind of related to myself in a really kind of, I suppose you could have called it an early hateful way. So, so I was very interested in, 
I suppose I had a kind of capacity for kind of reflect reflection, which was good. And I really wondered, why am I like this? Why am I so depressed when, you know, things are really so good around me? Um, so, yeah, I, I must say the Irish Army was was great that way and that it, it really supported me to kind of go into the career I'm in now. Yes, it's it's such a a, a, a contradictory or, or, or multi-leveled or multi-aspect uh, thing the the addiction. I mean, the, for you, alcohol was the the place you went, mm. and it's so strange because it's such a cooperative and easygoing and um, accessible friend. Um, it it doesn't argue with you. Uh, it doesn't say don't. Um, there's a lot of things about it that, compared to dealing with human beings, um, seems so simple. But yeah. um, but the complications that come out of it, and 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 this is something that I know you talk about it. Uh, and there's complicated worlds, and there's complicated aspects where things are competing and battling and and confusing each other. But then there's also the, the a complex sort of framework where we have different elements that if we can just bring them together into some sort of um, appreciable space, we can work with them. Uh, how do we bring all these things? I so said the, the, the army was great in helping you, but how do you talk about bringing these these sorts of uh, complications, but also complex elements together? I think I think it's a great point um, because, as you know, my good friend Barney and I, when we talked for an hour in the upcoming series, um, there was kind of there was a few points that we wanted to get across. Um, first point is. Um, you know, just what we've been talking about, this kind of intimate relationship between developmental trauma and addiction. But why it's kind of complex then is because a lot of developmental trauma is in what's called, as you know, kind of implicit memory. So we 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 don't we we don't have we usually don't have access or kind of yeah. somewhere disconnected from implicit memory for very good reason. So where we we can have all these kind of symptoms, and all, you know all these kind of internal processes, but have no explicit kind of framework for any of them. So I, I think that's one of that's one of the things we wanted to get across this relationship between developmental trauma and addiction. Um, my my own series, um, what the way do I label it? because it really kind of makes sense to me, is developmental trauma, the unseen road to addiction. And that, that's I think that's important. Um, and then what we really wanted to get across in the series as well is, um, you know, in, in addiction treatment in Ireland, um, and this, is, this might come across as a bit judgmental, but I don't really mean it, is that, there's not a very good relationship with complexity. We we kind of see things from um, kind of like binary, like recovery using, but there's a huge there's a huge complexity in addiction. So that was one of the other things that Bonnie and I really wanted to get across. And of course, then we wanted to get we wanted to get folks you know, looking at the seminar to really get curious about their own relationship with complexity and, and what gets in what gets in the way 
of our relationship, the complexity. And of course, there's probably many things, Richard, that, that gets in the way of our relationship, the complexity. But for me, I, I see three, what I call three well-intentioned errors that get in the way of our relationship to complexity. And the first one is that, is that uh, what I see in my, you know, I've worked a lot probably at this stage about probably 18 years in addiction services. And I would see that in addiction services in Ireland, and I imagine from talking to people, it's a universal phenomenon, but there's a real hyper focus on clients. So what, like, what I mean by that, and even to start, I think it's better to, to make it a bit light. I'll, I'll ask you a joke. And if you know this, please pretend you don't know it. So I'll what, stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you think about it, the joke is, how do you regulate a therapist? Do you regulate a therapist? Oh. Liam, tell us, how do you regulate a therapist? So you put a client in front of them. <laughs> that's that's a real therapist joke. That's right. That's, that'll that'll bring you down to earth. So basically, what what it we're kind of joking, but what it's kind of orientating us to is that in the field of caregiving, in the field of addiction treatment. There's, you know, two kind of concepts that are going to be really kind of uh, strong is the concepts of compulsive caregiving and unmanaged empathy. So with a hyper focus on clients, it can be it can be very explicit or it can be much more subtle. And I'll give you two examples. So when I started working in addiction treatment a number of years ago, I worked in a community project. And very soon, a lot of the clients I met, I had a very kind of distinct impression that they didn't want to be with me, that they really didn't have much motivation for being there, which is fine. But I would, on occasions, I would say this to the, the project worker that was working with me, and she was, she was an addiction project worker as well. But she would take real kind of umbrage with me saying this, and what she would say to me, she would say, do you know what I had to do to get this client over to you? She would say, I'd have to, I, used, I had to go down and knock at his door and he wouldn't answer the door. And then I would have to go around the side of the house, get on top of the shed, throw stones at the window and get him out of bed. So that's that's a real kind of exaggerated um, I suppose, example, but it, which, which does happen. But much more even kind of subtle examples is, is say, let's when clients come into us and clients will often come into us in a kind of a state of kind of distress or a state of dysregulation. And I think it's often really kind of interesting how we kind of respond to them. Like my, my kind of favorite way of responding to clients like that now is you know to see how you know clients affect me 
and then just to kind of mull over that information, how their kind of distress of dysregulation affects me, and then decide what I do with that. So that's one way. But another way is that that's probably more popular in, in addiction treatment is that we actually do something to clients. We might do breathing exercises to them. We might do some orientation with them, get them to look around the room. And, and this, of course, potentially can be kind of a, a kind of a subtle expression of compulsive caregiving because we, we really have to be curious about who we're trying to regulate. Like what, what gets kind of what gets touched and awakened in, in us when we meet kind of distress or dysregulation. So that's so so that's one point. Another point I think that's important, and you'd know this from Bonnie, and I think Bonnie talks about this really well, is that when when there's a hyper focus on clients, when there when there isn't this kind of what this 50-50 way of kind of relating to clients then we kind of see we, we kind of tend to see clients in a particular way we kind of tend to see clients as kind of in some way kind of well firstly we only kind of see their woundedness their kind of their brokenness and we really kind of miss what kind of body talks about inherent health but you know what she's talking about inherent health is this huge kind of organic or biological intelligence that we that we all have and under certain conditions will start suffering will start suffering and the other thing i think in addiction treatment um, when there's a hyper focus on clients and especially if you if you see kind of clients as having a disease then what you what you really kind of see you only see um you only see the disease. You don't see how creatively adaptive clients is be clients are. So I think it it really affects you know the way they see themselves, the way what gets energized in them, and how they kind of enter relationship with us. So I think that's that's the first one. This hyper focus on clients that it's all about the clients and that's nothing about me. I think is a, is a real kind of error. I think the second error then is. In, in Ireland again, there's a real hyper focus on symptoms and getting getting kind of rid of symptoms and you know eradicating symptoms. And again, I think there's there's kind of many problems you know with, with this approach. Like the first problem that I would really see is that when it gets like that, it it, it gets very kind of goal orientated. Like it's a real kind of goal-orientated approach. And I think the problems with goal-orientated approaches is, of course, once you go into, once you become, once me as a as a, a caregiver become goal-orientated, then I go into sympathetic arousal. And once I go into sympathetic arousal, I lose presence. And I'm gone. And of course, I, I don't believe there's any kind of healing in sympathetic arousal. We kind of heal in more kind of quiet, simpler moments. I think with a goal-oriented approach, we, we lose our connection to curiosity. I think with a goal-oriented approach, we 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 lose that, we lose that in addiction that, that there's that there's always kind of two sides. There's always really a polar polarization. 
you know, clients will come in and a very simple example is they'll, they'll talk about, um, I want to give up, I want to stop drinking. And of course they mean that, but there's always another side. There's a side that they're going to be afraid to stop or that addiction is doing something for them. So with a goal-oriented approach, I kind of align with one side of a polarity. I kind of really align with one side of an intrapsychic conflict, really, which is not going to be kind of helpful. Um, so in 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 addiction treatment, um, I think in in addiction treatment, we don't look at kind of symptoms as communication. We don't look at symptoms as being a kind of a roadmap to what's what's disconnected in people. We don't look at symptoms as, you know, seeing that symptoms in a way, um, what, what, what they are is that our life force or our vitality are kind, of, are kind of tied up in symptoms. So we look at addiction treatment, we look at, you know, right, we have to get rid of that. And of course, another co consequence then, and, you know, from my own story is usually if people stop drinking or stop using drugs without having gained certain capacities they just replace it with with different addictions so you know it, it's not a it's not a kind of a great way to go and just lastly and I, i'm kind of conscious of the time as well is that the last kind of well-intentioned error is that there's there's off there's often an over dependency on what we traditionally know know as kind of top-down modalities so there's an over-reliance on, you know, CBT, DBTM. So what, what we're saying is that we, we need more. We need both. We need kind of bottom-up modalities that work with the body and work with the nervous system. And, of course, we need top-down modalities as well. But in Ireland, you know, there's a, you know, in addiction treatment, there's a lot of CBT, there's a lot of DBT. And, you know, just using these modalities alone, you know, there's a limitation. Yeah, uh, you you make reference to the, you know the Irish context, but but I would say that um, these well-intentioned errors are, are fairly universal, um, yeah. and and um, there are some fantastic points there. So and there's, there's that sorry, Matt, I was just going to yeah. say that that wonderful thing as we're talking about once you get top down and bottom up going, mm. when you think in in the complex system, the way of systems, then they get feedback and you start to get these positive loops where they're interacting both directions, uh, yeah. and uh, which I know Bonnie talks about a lot and she'll be uh, no doubt uh, giving that 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 contribution. We've been talking about it for years. I know her quite well, as I, I mentioned. Yeah. 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 And of course, Richard and I both light up when you mention, you know, curiosity as one of the um, main elements there. Um, when we're dealing with a complex system, we have to be curious. Um, so now, we're, so you'll be you'll be doing this wonderful presentation, and you've given us some lovely insights, and probably given us some uh, some extra ones. So, uh, so ladies and gentlemen, there'll be plenty more going on. Uh, and so you're presenting with Bonnie. Uh, and giving this this uh, conversation between the two of you is that the the way it sort of goes through? Yeah, does it does a conversation between Niall, Bonnie, and myself? Mm -hmm. So uh, wonderful, and Niall's great. We know we we love yeah. his his stuff as well. So. So what we can do is just do nothing but encourage everybody to, if that was just a taste of uh, uh, of what they're going to see, then there's some really interesting and important things to gather from that. And we just want to thank you so much for spending the time with us, Liam. Thank you, Richard. And thank you, Matthew. Thanks, Liam. Really kind of nice to meet both of you guys. Thank you so much. 
Well, that was fantastic, Richard. Uh, Really looking forward to hearing more of what Liam has to say at the summit. So just a reminder to everybody, uh, this is the Holistic Recovery Summit. And uh, of course, there's going to be a link in the show notes. So jump in there and uh, go across to the website and check it out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to hearing Liam and and to see uh, my good friend Bonnie uh, talking again. So I'm I'm sure, and she's just so fascinating and yeah. got such depth of understanding, particularly of developmental trauma. Uh, so the fact that she's teamed up with uh, Liam to me is all I need to know. So I'm looking forward to seeing that one, and I hope everyone does catch it and uh, gets in there and links up to the to the to register for the free sessions. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now.